But no, this will be great. You be yourself, relax, say anything you want. Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Excited, really excited uh, about our guest tonight, Brian Diggs, and I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Uh, a couple things before we get to our esteemed guest. First of all, regarding our work with the Transversional Apostolic Record, which we introduced a few weeks ago, uh, we thank those of you who have stepped up to assist us in that and offered assistance in that. Uh, for your prayers and everything and uh, financial support. We need more, even if it's a prayer a month and a dollar a month. You know, we're building up for that five-year plan to get that thing done. And so uh, it's a Herculean task, but it's worth it. And I just want to let you know that um, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to get that uh, Gospel of Mark out by the end of December to everybody who is uh, behind it and so that you can see it and decide if you want to continue to be behind it or not. So I just wanted to let you know that everything's in the works, including those, uh, everything we talked about online about it. But I didn't want you to think that that's not happening. It is definitely happening behind the scenes. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Before I introduce Brian, um, I want to tell you a really quick history. Years ago, I used to live in a place called Mill Creek. It's here in Salt Lake. And there's a gym in Mill Creek called uh, Planet Fitness. And I would work out in there and I would see this, this totally fit, ripped, Wolverine kind of guy just doing curls and looking all handsome there in the gym. And uh, so I would go and we sort of started talking and stuff and found out he's a believer. And I asked him one time to come on our show. I think we were on TV at that time. And he just politely said, oh, you don't want me on your show. And so, you know, and that was my first introduction to the guy. And so then later on, some mutual friends of, of him and, and, and my family, the Symes, Kelly and Alan, uh, they said, hey, we have a friend and uh, he goes by the Deacon of Doom and he's a wrestler and he uh, gets into the ring. Do you want to go watch? And, and so we said, yeah. And so my daughter and my son-in-law, my wife and I, we went to the the event and uh, he did a great job and uh, it was the guy from the gym. So uh, that was great. And then a few weeks ago, uh, time has passed years, maybe, I don't know how long ago. And I guess that we ran into each other in an airport in Long Beach too with his wife and talked then. So our guest and I have had crossings for quite a while. Uh, and then last week I've been looking for someone to get on and talk about objective religion. And what I'm talking about by that are people who think that or believe that um, are convinced that um, the way they do religion is the truth and has to be imparted to other people versus subjective uh, faith, which I believe is uh, what people believe uh, in their heart. They practice with God and it doesn't matter necessarily how much doctrinal or pra praxis is involved. It's up to them. So. Uh, I, this guy online says, I'll do it. And uh, I didn't know him. And so I looked up his Facebook and it said he did some wrestling. I didn't put two and two together, but bottom line, Kelly Syme tells me through Facebook, that's our friend who we took you to, to that wrestling match. And now our paths have crossed again. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian, <laughs> Reverend Brian Diggs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Now, we planned on 
Brian taking 15 minutes, me taking 15 minutes, and we would just sort of present something, and then we'd sit down and talk. But no, 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 that is changing uh, radically tonight. In fact, we're going to do two parts at least with Brian. We're not talking about some slacker who's got some ideas on the armchair here. We're talking about a man who uh, is fervent in his beliefs. He knows his stuff, and he's not afraid to say it. And I mean, my hat's already off to him just for being uh, this kind of person. We want people who speak it, the truth about whatever it is, and, and to be able to dialogue as friends, which we are, uh, and we'll go from there. But I just want to read a little bit about Brian. Reverend Brian Diggs is the director of uh, UMCOR, the United Methodist Director of Relief. Uh, West office and depot in Salt Lake City. UMCOR West is a disaster response center that utilizes volunteers across the country to build, shelve, and send relief supplies to populations affected by natural disaster. Brian is responsible for overall operations of UMCOR, including the scheduling of volunteers, general office administration responsibilities, and securing materials needed for volunteer work teams. Reverend Diggs has over 20 years of experience leading United Methodist congregations of North Carolina, Virginia, and Utah into deeper action around mission. This is really, uh, this is guided language, what we're reading here. He has been director of UMCOR West office since it opened in 2009, so that's nine years ago. Prior to working at UMCOR, Brian served as senior pastor at First Methodist Church in Salt Lake City for 10 years. So he's not a greenback. This guy knows what he's talking about relative to his opinions, right? And then Reverend Diggs is an ordained clergy person, which is a great way to say it, in the Mountain Sky Annual Conference and received his MDiv, that's a Master's of Divinity, from Duke Divinity School in Durham, North Carolina. And his focus was on liturgy as ethical formation, which, if I understand that right, would mean that uh, it is the belief, and you can correct me on this, it's the belief that through proper liturgical uh, exer- exercise and practice that uh, moral, uh, and morality and ethics are enhanced in community. Is that correct? Very well. So, Excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So uh, let's talk. All right. Brian Diggs, tell us, go back. You were born in to parents and siblings and all that. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was born in Southern Florida, um, Southeastern Southern Florida. Uh, 50 years ago, this Sunday, I'll be 50, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm excited about that great. and nervous about that. But um, yeah, I was born to uh, my mother and father who, uh, and I had one biological sister. Uh, and then my parents divorced when I was four. Uh, my mother remarried to uh, uh, one of now two fathers that I have. You know, in the church, I always say, uh, water's thicker than blood because the waters of baptism make us family. Oh. Um, so I have two, two people that I call dad. Um, and I was raised uh, up until second grade in Southern Florida with my biological sister, my mom, and my stepsister. Huh. Uh, and she was, so I was the middle child at that point. Uh, but at second grade, my, my dad decided to get us out of the rat race of Southern Florida and moved us to um, Southern Arkansas. Uh, near Hot Springs, uh-huh. L.A., as we call it, you know, uh-huh. Lower Arkansas, yeah. um, where I was raised. And I was raised a Methodist. I've always been a Methodist. I was raised a Methodist there. My running joke is 
being in Arkansan, uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. I just went to a Methodist church on Sundays uh, because the culture was so Southern Baptist, very much like the culture in Utah is very uh, LDS. Okay. Um, but but in a sense, I always felt like on some level, the you know most of the Baptists felt like the Methodists weren't really Christian because the pastor did weird things like he wore a robe and we lit candles and mm. said these liturgies, which seemed to be very Catholic. And in, in, in the 80s in Arkansas, especially in Protestant Arkansas, uh, they weren't sure the Catholics really were Christians wow. at that point. So that, that's how I was raised. I went through uh, high school there. I, uh, uh, in my, my, and, and by the way, to kind of step back, my biological father uh, was in Virginia at the time. And I would go see him in the summers. And he was a Methodist pastor as well. Wow. Uh, so I would go see him for about a month and a half in the summers. I'd see him for a couple of weeks at Christmas growing up. And I really believe God used him as an, you know, an influence on, on, on really on my decision to, well, I would say it's my decision, but maybe it wasn't, but uh, to go into the ministry. So as a junior in high school, I made the decision to, uh, to go into the ministry. Wow. Uh, I went to college only because I had to go to college to go to seminary. Got it. When I entered seminary, you know, I really thought, I'm only going to seminary so I can be a, a preacher. Um, <clears throat> and I really realized how undereducated I was when I got my first paperback at Duke and I spelled that Prophet Jeremiah, P-R-O-F-I-T. So I knew I was kind of screwed, you know. Uh, my, my only claim to fame is I was, I was smart enough to know that I was well over my head. So I found the smartest group of kids I could find, hung out with them, listened to everything they said, took all their classes, and by the time... I graduated. I had straight A's and wow. had a pretty good education. So, wow. yeah, that's my story. I, I served three years in, in uh, while in seminary in North Carolina. Served three years in Virginia before coming out here to Salt Lake City in 1997, where I've been ever since. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of a born again experience, the way evangelicals talk about it, did, was that part of your experience? Well, you know, as a southerner, it's. I mean. If it's not, you know, you're going straight to hell. Right, right. right. So, uh, but I can honestly say no. Okay. I mean, I really wanted that. Yeah. In fact, there are a lot of people who, I mean, I really felt jealous because all my Baptist friends every year would go to Glorieta, New Mexico to their Southern Baptist church camp and get saved. And, you know, and <laughs> every year. Every year. They'd come back and, you know, they were really on fire for Jesus, you know, for about three weeks and then their salvation seemed to slip away. And so I would always have these theological dialogues with my friends because they were all, you know, Baptists. So they were like, you know, once saved, always saved. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, well, I thought you were saved last year. Yeah. And they said, well, I thought I was too, but I really was. But this time, you wow. know. So, but no, I never had that kind of, you know, I had emotional experiences and that was a part of the, that was a part of the Christian aura in terms of how I was raised. It was almost like if you didn't cry, mm. you weren't really a Christian. Mm. Um, and then seminary, course and the aging changed all that as sure. well sure yeah so um in terms of um type of kid high school junior high high school college athletics uh academia partier strict by the line christian boy none of that really uh, you know, what no. were you tell us well i mean i mean i had a i, I took my i took my wife to my 30 year high school reunion last summer and 50% of the class was there, which is 12. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's awesome. a very small area, so we all had to do everything. So we were all athletic. 
But oh, I mean, we okay. took our shoulder pads off at halftime and marched in the band so we could have a band. Wow. So it's not like, you know, everybody kind of, there were no clicks because there weren't enough people. There weren't. Huh. So in, in a sense, I got to know a little bit about music, sports, wow. academics, all that stuff. Uh-huh. You know, my joke is I was number 11 in the class, but when you only have like 20, <laughs> it's not that great, you know, so <clears throat> no funny. one has to know that I was number 11. Right. In the class. Let's stick by that one. Yeah. So um, tell us if you can, if you can summarize uh, the Methodist faith, and just for our audience who doesn't know, and that includes me completely, origins, um, and then the differences of approaches to uh, Methodism, if that's possible to do. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would say that I'm, um, I'm a by-the-book Methodist. In terms of Sunday mornings, and also theologically, I am. But Methodism has a kind of a an interesting past, you know, because you we were talking before the show started, Mm -hmm. you know, would you have more of a Calvinist bent? And I was like, absolutely not, you know. I mean, um, so I mean, I'm sure most of your viewers are familiar with uh, the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s and and Luther, and so Methodists are more along the lines of the Anglo-Catholic Lutheran kind of vein of theology. Got it. So the kind of the story goes is that John Wesley was an Anglican priest in the 1700s when the, when, the, when the Church of England decided to break off from the Catholic Church. So the Reformation had already happened. Okay. And Wesley uh, was a part of the Anglican Church, and he was really trying to get Anglicans to be much more methodical about their, much more serious about their uh, not just beliefs, but also practices. Uh, in fact, it, it, when he was in, in college at Oxford, um, he was kind of, I mean, it was kind of a derogatory term, all those, he's so methodical, let's call him a Methodist. Oh. And it kind of stuck. So okay. it was meant to be a cut down, but it, interestingly enough, it became kind of the, the name of a movement within Anglicanism, okay. or what we would now know in the United States as the Episcopal Church. Wow. Um, so to make a long story short, uh, uh, the Revolutionary War, Revolutionary War happened, and the Methodists were already here. That they considered themselves Anglicans, but when the when the, the colonies broke off from England, we kind of became our own denomination. And really, what happened was there were no priests to go around, hmm. and so the founder of our particular faith, John Wesley, decided to ordain somebody as a bishop, which was a no-no because we believed in apostolic succession. Hmm. But uh, because he wanted the uh, things like the sacraments, baptism and Eucharist or Holy Communion, to be able to get to the people. He went ahead and baptized, even though he was not a bishop himself, uh, not baptized, consecrated a bishop wow. so that we could actually uh, create and ordain more priests or pastors mm. to serve the people. So it was a pastoral move on Wesley's part. Hmm. But it really set the DNA, I think, for Methodism because, you know, that kind of rule-breaking, uh, in a sense, was great on one level, but it also kind of contributed to the DNA of Methodism, which mm. said, all oh, the rules aren't really that important, so mm. if we need to change something, do with it. So you run the risk of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when mm. you do that. Mm. And that's kind of where, um, where Methodism is now. So if I can talk about that. So Methodism is um, all over the board, you know? I mean, we're almost like a chameleon faith. Mm. So if you're in Arkansas, the Methodist Church might see more Southern Baptist, but if you're in New York, it might seem more Roman Catholic. Of course, out West, it seems much more Unitarian Universalist. Wow. Um, so we're kind of all over the map. Hmm. So when I speak, I, I, I can honestly say I speak as kind of a by the book United Methodist. Which you referred to earlier <clears throat> as the high church. Depends on what you mean by high church. I would I, say- I mean, well, when I think of high church, I think of an Anglican priest. That's what I'm thinking of yeah. high church. 
No, I would say um, I probably use the word more traditional. So I think you can use, um, and that, that's a tricky word too, because um, with the job I have, I get to preach at a lot of churches around the West. I mean, I've gone, well, actually, I've gone from your area of the country and the coast of California all the way to, to Maryland and wow. preach sermons. Wow. Um, and I've seen, which means I've seen all kinds of Methodist churches. Um, you know, and you hear terms like, well, we have a traditional service at 11, but we have a contemporary service at 830, you know. What they really mean is, are we going to sing hymns or are we going to sing praise songs? That's it. They don't really mean traditional oh. in the sense that I mean traditional. Got it. So I know when I walk into a Methodist church, if the offering is before the sermon, I know the pastor doesn't know much about liturgy hmm. or doesn't have the guts to change it. Wow. One of the two. Wow. You know? so, <clears throat> so what I mean by is the actual structure of words. Here's, here's what I would say. If somebody says, do you believe in diversity in worship? You know, my response is absolutely. I think sometimes we could say the Apostles' Creed instead of the Nicene Creed. <laughs> but only if there's a baptism. <laughs> awesome. So, Yes. So you're pretty like, woo, right? Or, or I believe the bread could be leaven or unleaven. Oh, wow. But I, what I don't believe is that we're not going to have the Eucharist or communion every week. Got it. Yeah. Uh, in terms, just for my knowledge and the audience, when you take uh, the Lutherans, um, I'm just going to lump all of this. The Catholics, the Lutherans, Orthodoxy, and High Methodists, if we can use that term, whatever you are, uh, what's the major differences that we're talking about here? Between, between what I believe and what? And Lutherans. <clears throat> oh. Uh, I mean, just the major difference. Is it, does it come down to liturgy or does it, does it come down to theology? What are we talking about? It comes about? down to theology with Presbyterians. Presbyterians, yeah, I didn't include them. Yeah. No, Orthodoxy, Catholics, Lutherans. Um, uh, Episcopalians, yeah. yeah. That's a pretty, pretty, uh, I mean, that's the strain of theology we Is fall it? in. I mean, most good Orthodox or Roman Catholics would say, not so fast. You need, uh, to, yeah. you need to become Roman Catholic or Orthodox, which they're right. I mean, okay. if, if they're taking their faith seriously. Right. But in terms of the broad, you know, paint stroke, the brush, yeah, that's all kind of in the same thing. Same thing. So, for example, with the Eucharist, like we... While Roman Catholics believe in what they call transubstantiation, meaning Christ is actually, I mean, that is the body and blood of Christ on the table. Yeah. Methodists would have much more of an Eastern Orthodox understanding, mm. which we would say, well, Christ is truly present in the bread and the wine. Mm. But we're not about to explain how that happens. Got it. Got it. So <clears throat> how about baptism? Is it required by a Methodist hands to do it for it to be efficacious or... Well, yeah, I just don't want to get into questions of salvation with baptism. Not questions of salvation, but, but in, in terms, terms of, of being a Christian, yes, it's required. In terms of being a Christian. Yeah, that and, would be a difference between you and me. But not right. in terms of salvation. Right, I think there are plenty of baptized people who, I mean, like for example, if, if, you know, if you said, there's this really nice person over here who's much nicer than me, and there are lots of people that are, mm -hmm. you know, I told you my, you know, humility is not my greatest virtue. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are a lot of people who are much nicer than me okay. who are not baptized. I don't believe they're Christian because they're not baptized. I don't believe that means heaven or hell for them. In fact, if anybody has uh, a greater chance of being in hell, it's Christians themselves because they have somebody, something and somebody to reject, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah. all, all these evangelical arguments about, you know, what about the, 
you know, in deepest, darkest Africa with, mm-hmm. you know, such and such a tribe. They've never heard Jesus' name. Are they going to heaven? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tend to think, you know, you, you know, we should concentrate on ourselves. But and to answer your question, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not baptized. And that might be a difference between... So no such thing as a Christian who's not baptized, but a person who's not baptized, you're not saying, you're not making any statement about their salvation. Not at all. So then what's the difference? What's the point of being a Christian if salvation is not hanging in the balance? Because Methodists don't have such an individualistic understanding of um, the faith. So for example, most Protestants, even, let, me, let me switch that, most non-traditional evangelical Protestants see the church as a place that people can go that helps them to undergird or upbuild their faith. I mean, to build up their faith. So it's a consumeristic mindset. Okay. Whereas most Orthodox Roman Catholics and good Lutherans and Methodists and Episcopalians believe the church does not exist to serve us, but we exist to serve the church because the church is the vehicle that God in Christ has chosen to transform the world. So as John Wesley once said, the founder of Methodism, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a major difference. Major difference with me, yeah. especially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, <clears throat> wow. Uh, uh, this is why I think Mormons more closely approximate Christianity than a lot of Protestant faiths do. Yeah. Because Mormons actually believe they exist to serve the church because they believe the church exists to save the world. Right. That's actually a very Christian view. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Right, right. So that being said, so I'm gonna open up a can of worms here. Your understanding or view of um, modern day evangelicalism <clears throat> is what? I told you I wasn't gonna cuss. <laughs> I still And I'm that. not. <laughs> um, Get the beeper ready. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I think modern day evangelicalism is no different than Joel Osteen. Okay. It's all, all it. the same load of crap. Because they all see the church as something, like for example, but, but even, even many people in my own faith, you know, they tend to see Sunday morning as something, like here's an example. Like when I was at First United downtown, once a year I would say, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. It was always the first Sunday before, uh, of Advent, which is the four Sundays before Christmas. Okay. And they'd be like, what is he talking about? And I'd be like, well, I'm, let, me, let me just remind you once again of the Christian year. Uh, the Christian year starts four Sundays before Christmas, and maybe or maybe you've not heard of the Christian year, but like Lent, for example, mm-hmm. goes to Easter, Advent goes to Christmas. And so, in the more traditional churches, this is a way of telling the story of Jesus, okay. right? So we read, systematically read the scriptures because we're trying to place people into the narrative of, of, of this story of salvation. Okay. So I would explain that and then I would say, and uh, how many people here uh, are hoping that this Sunday I'm gonna make Jesus relevant to you? And they would all raise their hand. Mm. And I would be like, I think maybe we should just go down to coffee hour and just have some cookies, because I'm not really interested in making Jesus relevant to any of you all. Hmm. And they would be like, what is he talking about? You know, and <clears throat> but then I would quickly say, my goal is not to make Jesus relevant to you, 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 or you. But my goal is to help us become relevant to Jesus. Hmm. And that is why I say 
conservatives and liberals are two sides of the same coin mm. because they both believe in a consumeristic mind kind of understanding of Sundays mm. as opposed to serving the church because God's chosen the church to serve and save the world. Mm-hmm. And the idea <clears throat> that God has chosen the church to um, save the world is uh, extracting passages from the New Testament and using them in that way. That's, how, that's where you're getting that from. Are you getting this also from church history and the things that men have said? I'm getting it from the church's tradition, which is a holy tradition. Yeah. And the Bible reflects that tradition. And the Bible reflects that tradition. For example, yeah. if, you, if you read 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay. Uh, the Bible, here's what I would say to people. The Bible never says the Bible is the pillar of all truth, but right. the Bible does say the church in 1 Timothy 3 is the pillar of all truth. Okay. So, um, and that is translated, you know, the, those called out those called out of, I guess, presumably the world, the church, the ecclesia. So I'm not, is that, 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 that's kind of my thing, Brian, is that we're called out and, and what you're kind of describing with orthodoxy or Catholicism or any of that is drawing everyone back in. And so where you guys might be a body and you're, you're worshiping as a body and you say it's not for the individual to experience Jesus, it's for the body to uh, serve Jesus as a church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so sure. I, I mean, you use church in, in, in Timothy, but I'm not so sure when you, we look at what it originally meant that that translates to what you're saying. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I just let me challenge that. you. Yeah, challenge me. The people who gave you that particular scripture, yeah, believed what I'm saying. That is the key. I hear another way to put it. Um, I always tell like so this organization I run now we have a a Eucharistic or communion service every Friday before they leave and I always say you know I don't know you guys very well but when you meet somebody new it's always important to talk politics and religion and they laugh you know (laughs) yeah so I say I ask them a question what came first the Constitution of the United States of America or the people and they were like well the people I was like exactly how does it start off we the people in order to dot 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 whatever else it says right got it and then I asked another question I say what came first the church or the bible and we always get it right because I make sure they know uh, it, you know when Paul wrote the book of Romans he was writing to the church in Rome right Corinthians to the church in Corinth so and this is a church that already has baptism and eucharist they already believe that they are they that, that they exist sure they're almost cultish. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Moonies of the first century were the Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do believe, yeah, that, I mean, I'm probably a lot more tribalistic mm-hmm. in the sense that I don't think the church can address the world unless we first address what it means to be church. Okay. And so when you say tribalistic, you're, explain that a little bit more. I don't understand what you mean. Um, <clears throat> it's mostly liturgical. So I would say... Um, I want to be a part, well, here, here's an example. So it's more than just liturgy. It's um, the kinds of ritualistic practices that have to take place within community that form us ethically. Okay. So if you remember the thesis. Yeah, so if you remember the uh, Amish schoolgirl shooting yeah. that, several years ago, right? What was shocking to a lot of Americans is that this Amish community many of them could actually go to the funeral of the man who killed their daughters. I personally couldn't do that. And the reason I say I couldn't do that, even though I claim to be a pacifist, 
is because I don't belong to the kind of Christian community that engages in the kinds of practices that would allow me to not want to kill that SOB, mm. but instead go to, the, to his funeral. Mm. So uh, in a sense, tribalism or the cult in a sense, I don't use the cult, I use the cult in much more of a, in an antiseptic sure. way, right? But the cult of um, uh, the table, in a sense, so the Eucharist or baptism that informs us and shapes us ethically. So when we practice those faiths, or you and I are probably close to the same age, mm -hmm. you probably remember wax on, wax off, sure, right? Uh, Mr. Miyagi was trying to teach Daniel's son not waxing cars, but instead he was teaching him how to fight. Right. And that's, those are the kinds of practices that I think Christians are called to engage in on Sunday mornings and beyond, but always living in community that allows them to be, for example, nonviolent. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. And, and I hear uh, my friend Christopher, the priest, uh, his sentiments are being echoed by what you're saying right now. Right. Because he has a very similar approach to, uh, in fact, he is, he could be called, he is, uh, goes back way back to the old stuff and he practices because no one wants to do it but he believes that there is a power to help form the individual in the community in doing those liturgical practices so I, I see what both of you are saying the thing I wonder about though is what about the idea of people who uh, they have a duty of church going but uh, uh, that's all it is man they and, and I sense Having come from Mormonism, mm -hmm. when you have a body serving the church, you get the idea sometimes showing up to church and doing the three-hour block, which they don't do anymore, that you've done your duty and now you can be a prick to your neighbor when you're driving out uh, you know, on the, in, the, in the car and he gets in your way. And, and it's, there's a sense sometimes that I feel that comes with um, serving the church where people begin to feel that they've done their churching, they've done their God stuff. And so then I'm not sure it always translates the best into the human heart. Can you kind of diffuse that or refute that for me? Sure, I can. Do it. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do like, probably, yeah, I'll, I'll, like Christopher. Yes, I can. <laughs> no, sure. Um, I don't think it's an, uh, a condom. I mean, I don't think that really uh, is an attack upon the, on the church as much as it is upon the church failing people hmm. or people failing the church. So in other words, I don't think that it's, a, it's a, in a sense, it kind of negates the necessity to come okay. around the Eucharistic table any more than, you know, if you have Americans who are not very patriotic, just go through the motions. Mm -hmm. You would never say, is America really that important? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we shouldn't be standing for, uh, What's it called at sporting events so people stand? American, the national yeah. anthem. National anthem, yeah. yeah. I was taught not to stand for that, or not to pledge allegiance in seminary, by the way. Wow. I, we, that's something we can talk more about as well. But wow. um, Yeah, so you would never say to, uh, to anybody who didn't stand, oh, you know, let's just, I mean, screw the national anthem. Let's, you know, people are not really into it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not in their heart. You would say, as a people called American, this is what we do. And these are the kinds of ritualistic practices that form us as Americans. Mm -hmm. And what I would say to that is that as a vet who lost his leg in the Vietnam War, and I watch uh, a bunch of high school kids who don't even know what it means standing and doing the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem, I would say, you don't know what it means to really be an American. 
and I'm insulted by the fact that you do a ritual every uh, time the flag comes out at a sporting event because you're American, when in your heart, if we went to war, you'd probably all become pacifists and run from this place. I wonder just about the human nature to embrace culture mm -hmm. and use it to our advantage to appease our need to have a relationship with God. I, that's, my, that's why, Brian, I am a, uh, a Christian anarchist and why I am a subjectivist and think that the scripture supports the idea that God gets tired of sacrifices and rivers of oil and the praise at, uh, you know, over at the uh, church where it's just a rock and praise show because it's hypocrisy. It's just, yes, you can partake of the Eucharist, and maybe there is something to what you say, it helping form the ethics of the person in some people, but I'm just not sure it doesn't do more harm than good. I've, coming out of Mormonism, freaking those people, they can do church all day long, they play church, but they are SOBs in the end, and I just don't, I can't see the translation as being beneficial. That's why I think there is such a decline in liturgy in America, that churches have gone the route of the Protestants because at least it's more entertaining. But I mean, defend it. Tell me where I'm wrong. Well, you're wrong because the church says you're wrong. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really a matter of Thank my- Thank you. I yeah. love that. <laughs> so it's not really a matter of my opinion. Right, right, right. right. So, I mean, I just want to get that out front because I mean, I'm speaking, because really you're talking to a guy who, you know, 100% of the time is in total disbelief. Mm. And 100% of the time is, if I got to believe it, I might as well believe pretty smartly, right? Mm. Yeah. So, um, so it's not like I'm, I mean, uh, like, you know, if you were to say to me, you know, is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? Are you going to heaven? You know, do you love Jesus? I, I'm not sure I could, I, I don't know how to answer that kind of question, mm. to be honest with you. Mm. I mostly experience Jesus in community. Um, but that being said, to answer your question, um, you know, I always tell people, you'd never know the person of Jesus if it weren't for the church who gathered on Sunday mornings, who gave you the scriptures, who believe not only that baptism was, for example, necessary to be a Christian, but believed you had to actually have behaved well enough to come to the Eucharist on Sunday mornings. Mm. So the people who gave you Jesus believe what I'm saying. That's, that's, the, that's why I told you earlier, I don't see a difference between you <clears throat> and a fundamentalist Christian. Like we both know Greg Johnson, for example. I mean- Know and love. I haven't seen him in many years. Uh, but Greg and I have battled on Facebook, right? You know, But I mean, in the end, epistemologically speaking, or kind of in terms of the reason and the um, academic structure, the paradigm of thought, it's the same. I mean, I don't see a difference between, you know, people like you and the Unitarian pastor. Mm. And because if you're going to claim Jesus, and if you're at all going to claim scriptures, if you claim Jesus, mm -hmm. you got to say, well, how, how did we get that? Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. And it only came from a people who very definitely believed that if you want to follow Jesus, you must be baptized in, I mean, there, for example, I don't know if you've heard of the Didache before, yeah. or Hippolytus' um, apostolic tradition. The Can't Atre. say it, but heard of it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I mean, these are liturgical texts that were written at the same time many of the, for example, New Testament texts that we claim as, as Bible were written. Mm -hmm. Or to put it differently, 
uh, most Christians throughout almost at least 75% of Christian history didn't have Bibles. Right. And even if they did, they couldn't have read them. Right. Because most people were illiterate. Right. Right. So how do people know the story of Jesus? The Mass, the divine liturgy of Orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. and later on Protestants. Mm -hmm. So there is no Jesus without the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is. But Jesus chose the church, in my humble but correct opinion, (laughs) uh, chose the church to show forth the reality of the Trinity, which is most clearly seen in the Eucharist. Um, so, Brian, um, just to throw this out, my eschatology uh, alters that uh, view completely in that I believe that, uh, and I won't go into all of it, but that Jesus uh, said he was coming back to take his bride and came back and took his bride. The gates of hell did not prevail against it while it was under apostolic rule. And they knew that. And they all talked about him coming back quickly. And that he came back when he said Jerusalem was destroyed. That was it. Josephus echoes in his secular histories and, and things about all of that being fulfilled from Matthew 24. And, and then even before he came back and took his bride, when the apostles were still wandering, we were headed into decline in the, the church you're upholding as having been passed down through the body and through the mass. I think it was corrupted. I think the early church fathers, you know, while good and great, I think it was corrupted then. And I think we have seen nothing but the gates of hell prevail against the church. That's why we have such bifurcated or, or split apart belief systems. And that's why we have so many different views of Methodism and Catholicism and Orthodoxy and even everything is just 10,000 different ways to do it. And I think all of them have been bastardized because when he took his church, the New Testament, according to Jeremiah, was now written on the heart. So I don't think it was the mass. I don't think it was the body. I think it was God writing his laws upon the hearts and minds of individuals, which is what he calls the New Testament. Paul says, listen, we're the apostles of the New Testament, not written with ink. Like you said, the Bible wasn't even working for most people. So the spirit that is on the individual, the masses getting together under the control of men and their ideas has shown us nothing but corruption. I have not, I have yet to see, I don't know the history of Methodism, but I mean, even it's Genesis um, Wesley did something that wasn't in his right, right? He mm-hmm. started off by ordaining someone he had no right to do it with. I had to see anything that proves that we've had a successful Christian faith move through the ages, except in the individual, except in the individual who comes to know God by faith, the Spirit's on them, and they walk the life because He is in them. How would you ever know what the life is? He's in you. Who told you that? The Spirit. Who told you there's a Spirit? You, do you need to know when you, when you look to the skies and you, and you forgive your neighbor when you otherwise would have punched him in the face? Do you, do you have to? This solves the aboriginal problem right away. Why is that a good thing? It's a great thing because you have relationship with your Creator. He in you teaches you to love. Who told you he was the Creator? He did. How? By his Spirit. He renews your mind. What if I told you the devil just lied to you? 
Well, I mean, that, that, this comes to the other side of the rub. I get that there's problems with it. And I get that there's people who say the spirit has told me to kill you. Sure. <laughs> now, here's, here's, let me tell you yeah, something. Let's do it. All right. A few years ago, I found myself at a church event in Topeka, Kansas. Right? Mm-hmm. So I took it upon myself. I was with my best friend. Um, we went over to, uh, what the heck's the name of that church? I hate so much. Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, wow. I'd love to get them on the show. Right. <laughs> I, and was, but of course, the whole place was just like, you know, barricade. They had like iron gates and cameras and stuff. You know, it said stuff like God hates fags yeah. and God hates America and all this stuff. The cool thing was right across the street from there, somebody had painted their house in rainbow colors. Oh, yeah, it was great, right? And so there was, like a, there was like a little piece, like offering box, you know, if you want to like stop these idiots, you know. So I thought, uh, I thought it was great. But I guarantee you one thing. If I walked into that church, if they would have let me in, say they say it was a Sunday morning, they were having a worship service, and I walked in, and I was like, you know, Gabe, whatever those dudes' names are, I forgot their last names. Mm-hmm. High fives, I'm with you guys, and we all started having our little Bible study in church and all that. Uh, they believe that the Spirit has talked to them in the exact same way that you just said it, right? Mm-hmm. They believe that they're being good Christians. Mm-hmm. They believe not only they being good Christians, I mean, they are following the Scripture. They have a relationship with Jesus. They're mm-hmm. saved. Mm-hmm. The Spirit's in them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I, are you telling me that if they believe that Spirit is in them, that Spirit's in them? And if that's the case, why, would, why is it a, a, a not a good thing to punch somebody out? Because they would do that. Uh, Brian, my point is um, that the Spirit... Uh, in us would be manifested by uh, the spirit of love, which is defined by the word. If those Westboro Baptists would be opening their Bibles to prove that their views are true, they'd be turning to Romans to show you that homosexuality is just, just horrible. They would, I mean, they would be script. I know that they're more Bible led than they are spirit led because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And, 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 and that love is long suffering is kindness, patience. So they are an absolute uh, antithetical in what they do to what uh, the word and the spirit actually move someone to do. Jesus said, they will know if you're my disciple, if you love one another. And that is certainly not love. So we would know automatically that if they're claiming the spirit and they're saying God hates fags, we've got a problem, right? Not according to them. Not according That's to my them. Point. You're yeah. right. And I would give them right. the benefit of the doubt to say, you can go that way. You can right. go that way. I am not going to say a word. I wouldn't give them an inch is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because I believe in the church. Right. You believe. I don't think the church has solved our and, problem. Because and... let me give, let me ask you some questions. What... Can I say one thing? Yeah, yeah, do, do. I don't like when people, liberals or conservatives, use words like love and grace and um, that, that don't adhere, that, that don't believe in the church. And here's why. If I walked into the Republican National Convention in 2020, and, you know, I had a Make America Great shirt again. By the way, I hate him. I'm not political, so I'm, I'm trying to keep I'm up. I'm extremely, because I'm a Christian, I have to be. Oh, my gosh, uh, you and I are. What? Yeah. You're joking there. Absolutely you? not. No. I mean, I don't. No, wait, before, you told me that you do not, you hate it when people take politics and attach Christianity to it. No, I hate when they attach America to the church because it only hurts the church. America's but Christians. Church. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem with the American church is that it's more American than it is Christian. Okay. So therefore, we tend to 
you know, we're, we're willing to kill other people in other countries yeah. in the name of a country, even if we're a Christian. So we'll kill other Christians right. in other countries, you know. Not good. So not good to me, right? Right. Because I'm a pacifist. Right. I believe when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, Peter, put your sword away, he meant it. Okay. I mean, he was probably pretty serious about that. Got it. And in fact, the meta narrative, if he's willing to die, as opposed to defending himself, that's right. even more proof. I right. mean, that should be the biggest proof, right? Okay. Yeah. So, um, but the, the words that, if you know, it's for example, um, if I walked in, in 2020 in a big Trump rally and said, you guys believe in freedom? They're gonna shout and cheer. Hell yeah, we do, you know. I could walk across the street to the Democratic National Convention. Do you guys believe in freedom? <sighs> yes, we do. But freedom in these two camps means something wholly different. Mm. Just as you used to say, mm -hmm. grace in the Mormon church is different than grace in the sure. Christian faith, whatever right. that is. Right. So, the, so I believe the communities that we are a part of form the, the narratives that we claim form meanings to words. Uh, which is why I would never say, um, do I, I mean, do you believe that evangelical Protestants are just as Christian as Methodist? I'd say no, because they've abandoned the historic Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Of course, a good Catholic could say, what about you as Methodist? And I'd say, you're right, you know. Yeah. And Orthodoxy would say to the Catholics, yeah, Orthodoxy says to the Catholics, you're just the first Protestants. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they may be right. I mean, I've, I can't refute that. Mm -hmm. I think Orthodoxy is right. Yeah. So, just to jump into that, knowing that about you now, as I've discerned that, why aren't you Orthodox? Great question. Mostly, I'm too scared of um, taking myself, taking the faith too seriously. I'm too much, too sinful. I just like my life, you know? I don't want to have to. Like, you know, I said I have one foot in disbelief, one foot in total belief, mm. you know? And, At least and, you're honest enough to admit that. Yeah. So you're, you're not going to be a hypocrite and embrace it for the, just for the sake of thinking <clears throat> it's probably more correct because you realize you probably won't follow it. I probably would if I did it. If you did it. I don't okay. have the guts to do it. It's a serious thing to me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that shows you. Plus, but, but I would also say, you know, I had a Methodist friend who once said, you know, being a Methodist is part of like being a dysfunctional family. Mm. I mean, in the end, it's still your family. Mm. So, I mean, Orthodoxy would say that Methodists are Christians, so maybe God wants to use me in the Methodist church mm. to help Methodists be more Christian. Got it. You know, in a sense. So, uh, we only have like eight minutes left, but let me ask you this before. Remember, uh, next week, Brian's going to be with us. And now that we've talked a little bit, I'm going to flush out some more ideas to, to hear from him because this is really fascinating and uh, he, he's so well-spoken. Brian, um, you seem, tell me if I'm correct, you seem to differentiate between Christianity, Christians, those two are the same, and um, heaven, future state, salvation. Yeah. Those are two different things in your mind. I've, I've heard you kind of reference that a couple times since we've talked. Explain that a little bit better to me. So we've got the evangelicals you don't agree with doing their thing on Sunday. We've got the Orthodox doing their thing. We've got the Catholics. We've got the Lutherans. We've got you. We've got the Presbyterian Ortho, uh, Orthodox Presbyterians. We've got the Mormons. We've got Jehovah's Witnesses. What you're saying, if I get it right, is most of those aren't doing Christianity because it's not proven from the fathers, it's not proven from the mass, it's not proven from history or the Bible. But you don't step back and say, therefore, they're all going to hell. Is oh, that, no. 
No, I would say, I, I, would, I mean, again, I would say those who have something to reject are in the greatest dangers of the fires of hell, if there is such a thing. That so, caveat at the end, I got yeah. to ask so you So, like, that. I, I would think that somebody like me um, has a much greater chance of going to hell than somebody on the streets who's never experienced what I've experienced. And what will prevent John 15 is an example, you know, Jesus says, if I had not come and shown you, I mean, this is a gross paraphrase, but if I had not come and shown you guys the way, disciples, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have all this burden on you, but I have now. So it's up you to you. You got it on your back now, yeah. yeah. So uh, just having said that, Brian, what will help prevent you from going to hell? I mean, just intellectually, what could you lay on the table that would help Brian Diggs not go to hell? What can you do more of? What can you do better? Um, well, I mean, I, th I think submission to the church, you know, like there's a little church I've been helping out here in town. And I, there are these two people that sit there. I mean, they are, you know, hardworking, honest, blue collar. You know, they, uh, I look at them and they, they bring lunch for everybody every week. They don't have a lot of money. I mean, I look at them and their humbleness. They say, I'm going to be in church. So to answer your question, I think it's I'm submitting myself to a group of people that I have relatively little in common with most of the time. Mm. I mean, I, for example, when I was at First Methodist, I, I made a, they were like, you know, why can't we have a glossy brochure like South Mountain, whatever, you know, church, you know? It's like, all right, I'll give you a brochure. So I, I, I got 11 and a half by eight, you know, yeah. fold it into three, you know. It was just black and white right off the printer. This is back in like the early 2000s. Yeah. And it just had lightning bolts on the front. And you'd open it up. And it said, welcome to First United Methodist Church on the bottom. And you open it up and it says, have you ever wanted to hang out with people you have relatively little in common with, give away most of your extra money and miss football on Sundays? then this might be the place for you. Mm. So what I was trying to help the people understand on that is that we get this conception by a lot of you know, uh, Protestant churches mm -hmm. and Catholic churches that church is gonna help you be better and make you happier. Mm. And I would suggest that church shouldn't make you happier. It should make you more joyful, mm. but your life should be a lot harder. Mm if you take it seriously. I see. So you're, in, sort of in summary, you're sort of saying church gives you an opportunity to die to yourself because you're associating with people who, and, and that's right there, an automatic built-in benefit of gathering together with people is that you don't necessarily like them. They're not your, right. so your friends. So it's a, right there, it's an opportunity. Uh, the Mormons say that. That, that. That's huge within the Mormon church. Uh, it's a chance for you to have all your rough edges worn off by having to Absolutely. serve with everyone else. Yeah. But let me ask you. And that's what baptism is. It's a dying to the self. Sure. Buried with yeah. Christ yeah. and then rise to new life. In a sense, it's an exorcism is what the early church called it. Whoa. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, Brian, uh, if that's the case, do you see uh, what is the difference? Explain to me in the last minute. Uh, what is the difference then from my perspective, which is to come to the church and... Uh, hear the word, take it out into your life, and then associate with the people on the job, your neighbors, your non-member friends, your non-Christian people, all week long, and let your Christianity get rubbed off in your engagements with them as you're shining his light to him. What's the difference between that experience in the community with a believer and having it happen within a brick and mortar building? 
the Eucharist. They, so it's all down to the, the communion. Yeah, which yeah. is... Yeah. I mean, if Jesus said, I'm going to meet you on the corner of 9th and 9th in Salt Lake City, would you go? Yeah. You probably wouldn't say to yourself, I think I'll just stay home and think about Jesus. Right. You, you'd rush down to the coffee garden mm. and see Jesus. Mm. And Christians believe at the table that Jesus is present. He also said to eat this until I come, which is why my eschatology automatically puts a damper on that because... That was for them under those circumstances to partake and unify because of the horrificness. But now that, that community uh, is not, and that's why we can't maintain that community in this world. You have to, you have to almost become a highly um, legalistic system of rules and rituals and regulations within your special group in order to keep that going. And, and I you do. Just, yeah, exactly. you do. And I just think that that's us keeping it going when God says, I've taken care of it, man. Now get out there. Get out there and let me live in you and let's just do this thing. We don't... The problem I have with that is how would you ever know he's living in you? I mean, here's an example. I mean, the love. The problem I have also is when you say your eschatology. Red flag for somebody like me, right? Mm. I'm just not interested in anybody's personal eschatology. Well, it's not my because you'd never know what eschatology is if it weren't for the church. No, you wouldn't know if it wasn't for the word. The church. There is no word without the church. Okay, but couldn't God have used Constantine and could have, but could, he didn't. Could that's the difference? Whoa, he didn't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Couldn't he have used Erasmus? Couldn't he have used all of these people to put the word together, the printing press, and everything? And, you're just you're saying no. He absolutely, emphatically didn't. No room I'm saying for. Saying he didn't. He could have used purple turtles. Yeah, but he didn't. He chose the church. He chose what church? He created the church. The church that started at Pentecost. The church that had real bishops and real priests and real deacons. The church that said, "This is how you baptize. This is how you celebrate the Eucharist." Churches that were doing this stuff while the Word, the Bible, was being written. Was there an authority with that church? In my opinion, absolutely. Was, Much looser than it is now, but yes. And was the authority maintained or retained on earth? In my opinion, absolutely. We're going to cut it off at that. This is so fascinating. Um, because what we've met here, we've had uh, Bartoswitz on here, who's, who's went from Mormonism to uh, Orthodoxy. We've had, of course, uh, Father Christopher, who represents Catholicism. We had Michael Imperiali, who represents uh, uh, Presbyterianism. But now we have a soldier who is, he is willing to battle now. There's none of this niceties of let's get along. This dude wants to battle for there being a way that has come through. The thing that's great about Brian is he doesn't say, I'm going to embrace it. I'm too weak of a man, but I'm going to stand for it. It's what's right and it's what's true. Join us next week here in Heart of the Metal, <laughs> Heart of the Metal, as we continue to talk about this with Brian Diggs. See you next week. Thanks, awesome. brother. Awesome. Really great. You sure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Really great. Okay. Let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Let's take right off on this. this, this Definitely, yeah. really no, I, I love this. I just don't want to be. No, 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 no. No, it's good. It's all good.